A reading from Romans, which you'll find on page 1135 in your Bibles. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading is taken from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. It can be found on the Church Bibles on page 981. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come by your Spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. 
In Jesus' name, amen. In life, we can run into situations that unsettle us. Sometimes they even scare the living daylights out of us. Some examples. We're faced with a major operation, and we're not looking forward to it. We're afraid of both of the operation in hospital, but also maybe of the disruption to our lives. Or there's been a breakdown in a family relationship, and that puts a kind of black cloud over everything. It's difficult to move on. Or we're in the middle of moving house, and the chain breaks down at one end, and all of a sudden we're counting down the weeks until we won't have a roof over our heads. Or the company that we've been working for for years and years doesn't need us anymore, puts us out of work. We don't know where the money's going to come from. Or the electricity meter has run out and there's no more money to put in it. And the children are asking why we can't turn the lights on or why mum can't cook dinner. Or we find a lump somewhere on our body and we're faced with a whole bunch of tests to find out if it's very bad news. Or we're on the receiving end of somebody's violent anger and we even fear for our very lives. Well, in case you think that that's a random selection of things that can hit us in life, let me tell you that those are all things that have happened to people connected with St. Matthew's in the last three months. Life is like that. That's what happens. Whether we're Christian believers or not, life throws things like that at us. And when that happens, we can doubt. We can wonder whether God is is good, or whether he's really there. And when we look at scripture, and our reading from Paul's letter to the Romans this morning, we read in verse 28 that he says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So why why is this happening in my life? I mean, I love God, um, I, I go to church, I pray my prayers, I read the Bible, I serve God in the church. Why is this happening to me? And I'm, I could understand if someone rejected God, these bad things happening, but, but why me? It's a kind of crisis of faith. I wonder if that's how Peter felt when he was out on the water in the wind and the waves in our gospel reading. Jesus, why, why am I starting to sink? I mean, I, I, the other guy stayed in the boat. I stepped out in faith onto the water. And yet I'm, I'm sinking. I, I, Are you really God? Are you really good? It's a crisis of faith. And in life, we we can often have crises of faith. I know I've had crises of faith in my life. A year after I found faith, 14 years ago, I prayed every day. From the the day I, I asked Jesus into my life, I prayed every single day that my wife Kirsty would find faith as well. But a year on, despite hundreds and hundreds of prayers, and despite uh, the many prayers of others, it still seemed that God wasn't going to capture Kirsty's attention. And, And I feared that the person I loved most in my life might not find the greatest treasure that I'd found, which is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Which all goes to show how impatient I am, because that was only after a year. And some people wait all their lives 
for a partner to find faith if they, if they have faith. Jenny Conabir, she won't mind me saying this because she's, she's let me say it before, but Jenny's husband Lance found faith aged in his late 70s. She had to wait a long time. And some people wait longer than that and some, for some it never happens. And when that happens, we can have a crisis of faith. I had another crisis of faith when I was finishing my curacy at Greyfriars in the town centre in Reading. And my curacy was coming to an end. I was absolutely sure that God was calling me to be somewhere local in Reading. I even wondered if God was calling me to St. Matthew's, but there were no jobs going in Reading, let alone St. Matthew's. And, uh, and so I, I began to wonder, have I not heard right from God? I started filling out application forms for churches the other side of the country. And, uh, but in the end, God, in his perfect timing, opened a door. But I was impatient, and I had a kind of crisis of faith over it. I didn't know whether God was really there, whether he was really good. And when that happens, you know, Peter is on the water... And when we think we've heard from God and we step out in faith and then things seem to start going horribly wrong, it can be very hard. Peter's in the boat and he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, in, in, uh, in verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now that's the disciple asking his Lord and Master to confirm his calling to be a disciple. And Jesus says, come. He says, yes, you're, you are my disciple, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and, and he starts to walk towards Jesus, but all of a sudden, he starts to sink. And things look, he, he questions his calling. And when we have that kind of a crisis, there are two ways that we can that we can handle it. Peter could have done one of two things. He could have turned around and made a dash back for the boat, to the safety of the boat, to the safety of his friends. Maybe he would have had to swim, but, but he, he could have done that. He could have done a U-turn and headed for safety. But he doesn't choose that option. He, he steps even further out. He puts his full faith, his full trust in Jesus and cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And almost immediately, Jesus reaches down and pulls Peter up. And Peter's saved. And then comes perhaps one of the most unfair things you might think that Jesus ever said to anyone in the Bible. Jesus says in verse 31, he, said, he, caught him, he caught Peter by the hand and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I mean, I've read that so many times and I thought, that's so unfair. You know, all the other guys are, are, are sitting in the boat holding on for dear life. Peter's got out onto the water to walk to Jesus and Jesus says, you of little faith. I thought Peter had far more faith than anyone else. It's puzzling, isn't it? And I've often read it and wondered why. And then a few years ago, someone gave me a kind of a hint on this, which has really helped. And, and it's all about context. You know, whenever we read scripture, we always need to understand the context. One of the reasons that we give out Bibles in the morning before church 
although the, although the passages are already printed in the service sheets, the reason we give out Bibles is that if you've got a Bible in your hand, you can see what comes before and what comes after the passage that's just been read. And this is the context. The context is that a few hours earlier, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Who was here last Sunday when Andrea spoke on the loaves and the fishes? It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Do you know, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody in a church actually break mackerel in the church. Andrea had five loaves and two real mackerel, and she broke them in front of us. And she did something that was um, really insightful. She said, you know, the other thing you've got to remember is that those five loaves and two fish, they were first of all divided among the 12 disciples in order that the 12 disciples could then divide it among the people. And so she showed us what one twelfth of five loaves and two fish looked like on a, on a bit of kitchen towel on her hand. A little bit of mackerel and a little bit of bread. And it's like, Peter, go and feed 500 with that. And, and it was just an awesome miracle. Because he did. In fact, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. And I think what Jesus is saying on the water to Peter, when he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's saying, Peter, just a few hours ago, I performed a miracle in your hands. You just fed 500 people with, with a tiny morsel of fish and a tiny morsel of bread. Have you forgotten so quickly? If I tell you to come to me on the water, is my word not good enough for you? His memory's too short. He doesn't remember. And I think that's why Jesus says, you of little faith. Because if he'd remembered, if he'd remembered that Jesus was the one who did that, he would have remembered that Jesus was God and that God is good and that he delivers on his promises. And he wouldn't have started sinking on the ocean. That's what I think. And that leads me to, I think, perhaps... The most, one of the most important words in discipleship, in being a follower of Jesus, and that's remember. Our memories are so short, we so quickly forget the good things that God has done. And I think there are three things that we need to remember as disciples of Jesus. And the first thing is to remember what God has done in the past. One of the most often used instructions, if you like, by God in the Old Testament is, remember the Lord your God who saved you out of slavery in Egypt and brought you through the waters of the Red Sea to the promised land. Remember the Lord your God who with a mighty hand sent the plagues on Egypt, who who freed the slaves, who sent manna and quail in the desert and water from the rock and parted the waters of the Jordan so they could get to the promised land. Because if you remember a God like that, then your faith will be strong. And so we need to remember that. And we do that by reading scripture, by reminding ourselves time and again what God has done in the past, but also reminding ourselves what God has done in our own lives. And there are lots of different ways of doing that. The way, the, the, the way I do it, which is, I find very effective, is, is this. is a journal. And... and on, a, on the good days when I remember, um, I sit down with my journal when I pray in the morning 
and I, and I write up what's been happening in the last day or so. And then, and, and I've got about 15 or 16 of these sitting on the shelf. And, and then if my faith ever wobbles, if I'm ever feeling doubtful, I go back to my old journals and I just open the pages and I start reading and I just go, wow, I remember that. I remember when God answered that prayer. I remember when he helped me with this. I remember, and it's so faith building. It's so faith building. We need to remember, first of all, what God has done in the past. And the second thing we need to remember is what God has done in Jesus. Paul reminds um, the, the, the people he's writing to in this, in this passage to the Romans in verse um, 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The reason we share communion every Sunday is because the bread and the wine reminds us of Jesus' broken body and spilt blood when he went to the cross and on the cross he took all of the sins, all of the rubbish, all of the evil, all of the wickedness in our lives and he paid the penalty for it so that we could be forgiven and set free. That's what the Eucharist, the communion is all about. It's remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we need to do that not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday. And there's lots of ways of doing that. I have a little, I have a little cross um, in my study sitting on the windowsill right in front of me. It's always in my view um, all the time that I'm working in my study. And I have a picture of, of, of a Christ of St. John of the Cross by Salvador Dali in, above the table where we eat. And I have a picture of Jesus, the light of the world, in the sitting room. And so there are constant reminders of what Jesus has done for us um, on the cross. So we need to remember what God has done in the past. We need to remember what, G- what God has done in Jesus on the cross. And finally, we need to remember what God has promised for us in the future. And his promises are so good. They're amazing. In this passage, uh, just again from, from Paul's letter to the Romans, I'll just pick out three, but I could pick out at least 12 from this short passage. I'll go back to that first one. We know, in verse 28, that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. So that's a promise for the future as well as a reflection on the past. Whatever we face in life, any of those things I mentioned at the beginning or or anything else, we know that wherever we are, God will work for the good of those who love him. He doesn't inflict those things on us. He's in them with us and he's working for the good of those who love him. That's a wonderful promise. In verse 31, God is for us, not against us. What a wonderful promise for the future. Whatever happens, wherever we are, God is for us. He's not against us. And finally, in verse 38 and 39, perhaps the most wonderful promise of all. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens, through the good times, through the bad times, if we cling on to Jesus, then we will never be separated from God's love from now through to eternity. What a fantastic promise that is. And again, we need to remember these things, not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday and a Tuesday and so on. And, you know, in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, 
Um, God told the, his, the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, um, to take verses of Scripture and pin them to the doorposts and, as reminders and things like that. You know, the modern equivalent is, is, is like fridge magnets. You know, these are quite good as well for remembering. Here's a fridge magnet which says, Beauty for Ashes. It's from Isaiah 61. It reminds us that God is a God who transforms lives. He takes ashes and he brings beauty out of them. And so it's great to have kind of reminders around the place. I mean, some fridge magnets are a little bit less, uh, a little bit lighter. Working for the Lord doesn't pay much, but the retirement plan is out of this world. A reminder of heaven. But, um, you know, it's, it's great to have these reminders. And, you know, another wonderful thing, when we were at New Wine on the very last evening of, of New Wine, that Kirsty and I were there anyway, in venue two, the urban venue, they did these cardboard testimonies. This is an amazing way of remembering what God has done in our lives. What they did, a, a, a hundred people walked up on stage and gave their cardboard testimonies. Basically, a cardboard testimony is, is, is a bit of paper. And on one side, you write something about your life before you knew Christ, before Jesus was part of your life. And on the other side, you write about the, something about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And so this is what... Here's, here's, one, here's one, one of my cardboard testimonies. Um, this, this is me before I had faith. Disbelieving, dissatisfied, and unfulfilled. Disbelieving, dissatisfied, and unfulfilled. And here's faith in Jesus, filled with the Spirit, and life and adventure. That's what... God has done in my life. And do you know what? I, I was saying, but we saw a hundred of these. A hundred people came up, walked across the, the stage and, and showed us their, their cardboard testimonies. They were so moving, so moving. People from rape victims to just ordinary folk who, um, whose lives had been transformed by the love of God in Jesus. And uh, it was so faith-building. And I invite anybody and everybody at St. Matthew's, any Sunday to bring your cardboard testimony. And we'll just come up the front and you can show it. I'd love to do that. It would be a wonderful thing. So in summary, the key to following Jesus, the key to discipleship, is to remember what God has done for us in the past, in Scripture, in our lives. To remember what God has done in Jesus on the cross. Salvation saved us from our sins and to remember the promises of God for the future, that he'll be always with us, we'll never be separated from his love. Let's be people who remember. Amen.